What about those really weird, difficult, creepy people? How well are we loving those people who are really inconvenient to love? We'll find out now on the Author Podcast. Welcome to the Altered Podcast. This is a place for people like you and me who are being radically altered by God through the suffering that has drastically altered our lives. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you that you love as I have loved you. The sad thing is we're really guilty at not loving everyone like Jesus loves. We've got down loving those easy and convenient people to love. But then we distance ourselves from those who are a hassle and in many cases just annoying. Some are drama starters and instigators. They're mischief managers and and act like incorrigible children. And yet, we are commanded to love them. That love will, of course, look different from person to person and need to need. In the last couple of years, I've noticed mental health is more mainstream with less stigma, which is awesome. This is how it should be. Unfortunately, where the church as a whole should be leading on this issue of mental illness and health, it hardly has a voice. Some churches do, in fact, make a point to love those who struggle with a wide range of mental illnesses. Yet, most of us pass these people by just thinking they're difficult, annoying, and weird. When Jesus said to love others as I've loved you, he meant love others with an unrelenting, unending, unconditional love. John 13:1 says that Jesus loved them, his disciples, until the end. Jesus did not say, love only your small group, love only your friends and those easy to love. Don't tax collectors even love other tax collectors? I'm really glad to see a number of my friends on Facebook posting videos about bringing awareness to PTSD and other forms of anxiety and depression in order to prevent suicide. And I am all for this. I am all for bringing awareness to making sure people who are suffering silently know they are not alone. There are resources out there, and there are people out there who care for them. As one of those people who suffers from a form of anxiety, as well as being married to someone who has a personality disorder, of which 80% fantasize and or attempt suicide, this whole thing comes across as a little lacking what people who are suffering from mental illness truly need beyond your online links and push-ups. What we really need is you. So how do you love those who are hard to love who may suffer from chronic illness? We love them with a chronic love. I say chronic love because this is how Jesus loves us, chronically, unending, unrelenting, and unconditionally. I'm going to hopefully call us all out with the story of the Good Samaritan and to give us three things we can do to better show chronic love to those who are inconvenient to love. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, the story opens up with an expert in the law of Moses asking what he must do to inherit eternal life. The question assumes he can save himself. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus points him to the law. The expert rightly gives the commandments which all other commandments hang on. Jesus says, you keep these, you keep them all, and you justify yourself. But of course, being an expert in the law, he knows he can't actually do this, so he attempts to reinterpret the standard he must live up to. In verse 29, it says, 
but wishing to justify himself, he said, and who is my neighbor? In other words, who exactly do I have to love? Where do I draw the line of who I'm required to love and who I'm not in order to fill this command? Something you have to understand which was common during this time for a Jew is the neighbor was another Jew. A neighbor for a Jew during this time was another fellow Jew. So this expert thinks he's setting Jesus up to give him a layup of an answer. Who's your neighbor? Well, of course, your fellow Jew. Now go love him. Easy, convenient. But Jesus gives a story followed by his own question instead of a layup answer. In the story, a Jew gets beaten within an inch of his life. First, a priest notices this and distances himself, passing on the other side of this person. Then a person of the priestly tribe, Levites, he sees the man. He also distances himself and passes on the other side. Then an unlikely character enters the story, a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans were not Jews, and they were not even considered neighbors by Jews, even though they lived just to the north. They were mudbloods for you Harry Potter people. They had a mixed blood of Jews and Gentiles, which made the Jews hate them. In verse 33, it says, When he, the Samaritan, saw him, he felt compassion. The religious folks saw him too, but passed by. There's a huge difference in noticing something is wrong and seeing a person hurting. I know for me, often I don't want to see people hurting because I'm scared of the inconvenience my compassion will lead me into. My first question is, what's this going to cost me in terms of time, commitment, and money? This doesn't sound very convenient right now. So the first thing we all can do to show chronic love to those hurting from mental illness is to open our eyes. Don't just notice it's out there. See the people. And we don't need to open our eyes very hard because these people are all around us at work, home, and church. 25% of adults in the United States suffer from a diagnosable mental illness. That's 50 million people. One in seven adults suffer from a serious or chronic mental illness. That's roughly 12 million people. Half of all lifetime cases begin by age 14 and three quarters of those by age 24. Five to nine percent of children suffer right now from an emotional disturbance. In churches, one in four adults and one in five children are suffering from mental illness. That's in your church. Pastors, I know you're starting to do the math in your head right now. When I was a student pastor, I had kids in my youth and college groups who suffered from depression, some on medication and some not. 18% of adults experience anxiety disorders such as OCD, PTSD, GAD, which is generalized anxiety disorder, and social anxiety disorder, just to name a few. 9% of 13 to 18-year-olds experience ADHD. And the reason I mention this is because there is strong evidence that around 25% of these kids will develop an addiction as a result. And those kids are in your youth group right now. 9% of adults suffer from personality disorders such as narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial disorder, borderline disorder, obsessive compulsive personality disorder, which is not the same as OCD. So the first thing we all need to do is open our eyes, not fearing the inconvenience our compassion will place upon us. 
in the next two verses, verses 34 and 35, we see the Samaritan doesn't just not fear inconvenience, but he feels his compassion and he lets it lead him to extend compassion and care. He takes care of the sufferer's immediate needs, bandaging and pouring oil on the wounds to disinfect them. But he doesn't just extend care, he extended his care. He didn't end his care, he extended his care. He made it chronic, unending, by taking him to an inn and staying all night with him. The next day, he extended his care even further, giving two denarii to the innkeeper. That was the equivalent of two days' worth of work. He extended his time, his finances, and his life. He says in verse 35, when I return, he's coming back. He's not leaving this person. He's committed. If we truly want to show chronic, unending, unrelenting love to those suffering from mental illness around us, then we must also extend compassion and care. You cannot feed people hope of finally belonging, then love them only when it's convenient. You can't convince a person to trust you and seek help, then distance yourself because the relationship got too intense for you, because you didn't understand chronic love demands unending, unrelenting love. Many with mental illness deal with severe abandonment issues from childhood. If they feel the one person they trusted has abandoned them, that might be all it takes to push them over the edge. There is a chapter in Bob Goff's book, Everybody Always, called Skydiving. At the end of the chapter, he retells the story of the skydiving instructor telling everyone, if your chute doesn't open and your backup chute doesn't open, you've got 45 seconds until you hit the ground. Now, you don't die when you hit the ground, according to him. You actually break every bone in your body, and then you bounce up. Now, when you fall and hit the ground the second time, that's when you die, on the bounce. Bob Goff says this, If we want to be like Jesus, here's our simple and courageous job. Catch people on the bounce. About three years ago, my wife and I hit hard, and we felt like we had no one to catch us on the bounce. So firsthand, I can tell you, don't tell people you are there for them and aren't going anywhere unless you are ready to practice chronic love and endure the pain of carrying one another's burden, no matter how annoying inconvenient or costly. Don't tell people you've got their back no matter what, but when they don't get their act together as you think they should, or they don't take their meds or get sober, then you clean your hands of them. You can't do that. That's not chronic love. I know it's hard to love a person with mental illness, so I'm going to give you some tips that will help you and hopefully your church family better show chronic love to the person for the long haul as well as help you maintain your own safety and sanity. The first tip is this, boundaries. Set boundaries with the person. A boundary really is just a line in the sand, not an ultimatum, but a guideline how the relationship will work, reminding them that they are loved, safe, and they belong. You will have to determine and communicate your own boundaries, but here are a few examples. When a person gets out of line, agitated, or manipulative, Simply remind them you love them, you are here for them, but you will not tolerate their behavior. So when they are ready to either get back on track with recovery or meds or just treating you with respect, you let them know you'll be waiting. Until then, you will check in on them to see their progress and you are rooting for them. 
a boundary may be you're not going to answer your phone after a certain hour in the evenings or at night at all. You may tell the person you will not engage them if they are belligerent, intoxicated, or attention-seeking. Then you hug them and check in on them later. The purpose of boundaries is to communicate how the relationship will work in light of the illness. Second tip, be strong in grace. Loving chronically is not possible without being strong in grace. A person with mental illness will at some point attempt to manipulate you, lie to you, betray you, offend you, or hurt you emotionally. Many with disorders do what's called splitting. They'll be your best friend one day, and then the next day, they won't even acknowledge your presence in the same room. Then, after a couple days, they're your best friend again. And it comes across extremely childish and annoying. But being strong in grace helps you understand all it is is a defense mechanism that protects them when they feel you're about to abandon or ditch them or distance yourself from them. They essentially end the relationship before you can end it and hurt them. Be strong in grace and reinforce your chronic love, which will dissipate their fear of abandonment and eventually their splitting. The old saying is, you can't lie down with dogs and not come up with fleas. In the same way, you can't love hurting people and not get hurt. Expect it and be ready to be strong in grace to forgive. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. Third tip, educate yourself. Educate yourself on the specific illness your friend is suffering. In my case, when I found out my wife suffered from BPD, I read everything I could. And it did two things. One, it gave me compassion where I used to feel confused, hurt, and annoyed. Two, that compassion then led me to love her better knowing the deeper issues that were causing and driving her behavior. In turn, it brought peace to our relationship because I knew how to talk to her and I knew what her triggers were. Fourth tip, just listen. You don't have to understand, believe, or accept their reality as they communicate it to you. But if you want to demonstrate chronic love, then you must listen and let them know they are heard. Don't tell them they're acting crazy, irrational, over-the-top, or childish. They may be all of these things, but don't tell them. Just listen. Hopefully they are meeting or will meet with a professional counselor or therapist who will help them safely navigate through the rational and irrational. Your job is not to fix, but to love. So these are four tips that will help you better love those who suffer from mental illness. Set boundaries, be strong in grace, educate yourself, and just listen. So the third and probably the biggest thing we can do to show chronic love is again found in verse 35, where we see the Samaritan didn't do it all on his own. He enlisted the help of the innkeeper. We too cannot love those who struggle with mental illness on our own. We must enlist the help of others. And I say this to this audience, enlist the help of your church family. This all may be a little overwhelming so far, and that's why you must enlist the help of your church family to help love those who suffer. The best and most qualified place for us all to start showing chronic love to those who chronically suffer from mental illness is to start loving the families. Families with a mother, a father, or a child suffering from mental illness always, always feel shame, meaning they feel like they never belong, so they isolate and hide from you. They pretend everything's fine, but you know it's not. Get those families to cookouts, play dates, or for dinner, 
Get them in small groups, Bible studies, life groups, grow groups, whatever you call them. And they may turn you down because of another way in which they suffer, which is anxiety. Families isolate not only because they feel they don't belong as a result of shame, but because they are a nervous wreck that their loved one might have an episode, show up drunk or high, or say something or do something inappropriately if they do try and belong. Their anxiety is a fear that they might prove to everyone that they don't really belong. Let them know you understand the situation, and even if you don't, that you're there to love them, and they have nothing to worry about. Whatever happens, happens, and they all will be there to love no matter what. Our church met us with chronic love just like this a little over a year ago, and it made a huge impact on my wife's progress. Families often feel unstable because they're drained emotionally, physically, and financially. The mentally ill for the family often feels like an emotional black hole. Families are also confused. Don't stop offering your help because they don't take it. Most likely, they don't know how they need to be helped. Be strong in grace and relentless in your love. Be relentless in your help. Families are often exhausted because there many times is a role reversal. Children are taking care of mom or dad, or dad is taking care of a wife as well as the children all alone. Families are just beat. Find ways to give them a break so they can practice their own self-care. Families touched by mental illness often call their suffering the no-casserole suffering. People from church love to set up meals for new moms, for recovering from surgeries, or after a death. But when was the last time your church had a ministry to provide meals to families where the dad was in over his head trying to keep his family together because of mental illness? Or the wife was overwhelmed with the children's work and trying to help her husband cope with his mental illness? Most often, these are the people whose faith fails first. You and your churches have an opportunity to not just keep someone's faith from failing, but through your chronic love, be the vessel which God uses to radically alter their lives into looking more like Jesus. So these are three things we can do to make a difference in the life of a person suffering from mental illness. Let's open our eyes, extend compassion and care, and enlist the help of our church family. Again, I love raising awareness about this, but when your awareness leads a person to speaking up and they come to you, you better love them with the same chronic love that Jesus loves you. Be relentless in your compassion and grace. Don't do it alone. Do it as a church. Don't fear the inconvenience your compassion will place upon you. Embrace it like Jesus did at the cross. The Good Samaritan story ends with Jesus asking his own question to the expert in the law. Verse 36, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell victim to the robbers? The expert answers, the one who showed mercy. Just like Jesus took the command to love your neighbor as yourself and he gave a fresh take on it, to love others as he's loved you, he takes the expert's question, who is my neighbor, and he turns it into, who are you being a neighbor to? Another way of thinking of it is, Jesus takes the question, who should I love, and he turned it into, how are you loving? And so the question for all of us is, how are we loving? It's not a matter of who we're supposed to love. Jesus commanded us to love everyone. Love as I have loved. So 
how are you loving everyone? Are you letting the fear of inconvenience distance you from letting compassion lead you into chronic love for those hurting? Jesus, the same guy who didn't distance himself by passing by the cross out of fear of inconvenience, embraced it by stepping out of all the conveniences that heaven had to offer to endure our sin, our annoyingly selfish, childish, manipulative sin. Don't fear the inconvenience your compassion will place upon you to demonstrate chronic love. Embrace it like Jesus.